Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan, and we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon, here to open up our lives and minds with you. We are your companion on the journey to grow your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've got a free email course on our website, shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course, with practical steps on overcoming your fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. Hey, welcome again to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm here with Nathan, and we've actually got a crowd. You're going to meet a couple of other people today because we've got a panel of therapists and group practice owners from other parts of the country. We invited them from uh, Killing It Camp. Uh, this is Joe Sanok's Practice of the Practice conference that he puts on. It's a group of amazing therapists that uh, want to do what they're doing as best they can. They want to reach more people. So we're excited to have a couple of guests on today. They're going to introduce themselves, but the topic we're going to be talking about today is maintaining and protecting intimacy and relationships. I know that's something that a lot of us care about, and it's not just relationships you know, in terms of a marriage, but it's also your family relationships, whether it's extended family with your children. It can be work relationships and friendships. So we're excited to have our guests on. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves, and then we'll jump into the topic. Maybe we can start with you, William. All right. Hello, my name is William Hemphill. I'm a licensed professional and pastoral counselor in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I actually work with dis disconnected couples, and I help them to learn how to communicate together again. All right. Well, thank you. All right, Colleen. Well, how about you? Hello. Yes, I'm Colleen Wenner-Foy from Fort Walton Beach, uh, Florida, and I'm the founder and owner of New Heights Counseling and Consulting. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. We've got a lot of experience here in this room, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say. So first of all, as we're talking about relationships and maintaining and protecting intimacy, Nathan's got the obvious question, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Let's define intimacy, folks. I don't know who wants to start, but whoever wants to get off the jump, go right ahead. All right. So I kind of define it as intimacy to know and to be known. And so when you're in a relationship with somebody, it's kind of like, what do you want to know about that person? What do they want to know about you? And do you feel safe being vulnerable? I find that a lot even in my work with couples, sometimes when they're struggling with intimacy and getting to know and be known on a deeper level, they both, usually I've seen couples where both sides, the husband and the wife, want to be known and to be known, but a lot of times there are things that keep people from being known or having that intimacy, and it has a lot to do with safety and openness. Am I safe to reveal my most intimate self to you? So this is really good. As you're talking about seeing into one another and knowing something about one another, it seems like, you, and, and William, you're talking about the safety. So in terms of protecting that intimacy, what kinds of things in your experience makes that intimacy safe? What kinds of things protect it? I like to say the biggest thing that I've seen that allows it to be safe is when people have that trust for one another. So like a lot of times when I work with 
couples, I talk about things, you know, we learn in EFT like reactive cycles. And so what normally happens is when we have a wound that's pressed inside of us for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe I feel dismissed or I feel controlled, for example, or disrespected, we usually have a reaction. And so I've seen reactions like withdraw, shut down, fact find, where we try to lawyer up or even <laughs> anger or rage or something like that. You right. Know? Well, the interesting thing is we only do those reactions when we're hurting. And what happens is when we do those reactions, we often push a button in our spouse or in whoever we're trying to relate with, and they all have a reaction. And so we end up forming what we call that reactive cycle. And what I like to say is when we're in that cycle, that space is not safe. And when that space is not emotionally safe, no one wants to get intimate. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. In internal family systems, we talk about these different parts of ourselves. And it's kind of like there's a protector part of us that can step up. That's not like the usual calm, relaxed, open part of us. But this protector part kind of steps up. And then the other part in the other person is like, whoa, who's this protector? I don't know. I need to like walk away and shut down and whatever. And then those two are kind of sparring. And all of a sudden, it's like two different parts of us are having this argument or this conversation. And it's like, what are we doing? This is not us at all. It's like, you know, I was going to talk to you, but you just grabbed a sword. You're like, what are you talking about? You're holding a knife. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't, I didn't know I was holding it. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Colleen? What are, what have you seen in your experience and that you talk with couples about, or we're not just talking couples, with um, two people in a relationship? What do you see that um, that makes things safe for them to, to open up and be seen? You know, I deal with couples on a pretty regular basis, although it's not the majority of my caseload. I do find that there are times when um, the difficulty that's in the way of safe communication is their um, uh, inability or their uh, inability to be vulnerable or their um, pain from the past that that kind of cripples that ability to be vulnerable. And um, sometimes I like to give them a tool uh, that will help them so that they can share how they feel uh, somewhat more logically, I guess, than emotionally. And I use uh, just a basic emotion scale where if uh, one is uh, pretty calm or neutral and 10 is most disturbing or most upsetting, I ask them to rate the situation that they're talking about on that scale to give their partner an idea of how activating it is for them. That can give a whole lot of information to a partner who might be confused about why they would see an overreaction about something. Uh, for example, if a couple was um, arguing about what happened with who was supposed to pick up the child after school, and one of the parents, say the mom, uh, really loses it and just melts down and um, starts self-blaming and is just overreacting to the place where um, she just can't pull it together before um, she sees her child. Um, after the fact, I would ask her to rate that incident, and um, it might be an 8 or 9 out of 10 as far as how disturbing it is for her, um, but 
the dad may not have understood how the incident activated the mom. So in giving a number to it, it can sometimes help the other partner see, okay, this really is more activating for her than it is for me. Let me see if I can listen a little better to see why, what has happened in the past, where is this kind of coming from? Yeah, I love that. I, I actually, I like the way that you put it though. I I say it differently and now I'm not going to. I'm going to say it the way you say it because <laughs> uh, the idea of zero to 10 as far as your activation level, um, I sometimes will have couples or actually I did this with a teenager and his mom. Um, they didn't. They were both responding at nines and there was a time where I, I just told them, can you just give your number of what you think the other person's at? And so they apparently got like, she came to pick him up at, at school. He was like 17. And uh, he immediately gets mad and she goes, I'm a two, I'm a two. And he goes, Oh, I thought you were a nine. And then they just stopped talking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. I think one of, it reminds me of another tool. It's just that like, okay, here, this is great. I, I love this. This is about seeing and being seen or being known. It's that I don't know what's going on for you. If, if Nathan's talking about something and he's really frustrated, he's really upset about something, I, it can look a certain way to me from the outside, but on the inside, he might be processing it. He might be trying to understand it himself and it's just coming out. He doesn't realize it's coming out at me. And so one of those being known things is sometimes I'll have people say, wait, are you upset at me? Or are you just telling me that you're upset? Like I'm frustrated, but not at, not about you. I'm just frustrated. And it's like, oh, that makes me feel safe. Cause it's like not the arrows are not directed at me. You're just showing me all of the arrows that you have, or you're pulling them out and how hurt you are about that. So I think that kind of tool about letting each other know where you're at and how you're experiencing one another, it seems like such a powerful tool. Yeah. I like what you even added to that, Aaron, in the sense when we're letting whoever our partner or somebody else know that, okay, I'm just upset right now. That helps because you don't end up taking it personally. You know, one of the questions I do ask when I'm working with couples, and sometimes we go through processes of what we do emotional regulation. One of the questions we often ask is what else is going on? And so, and I think that helps. We ask people to ask that individually because a lot of times it allows them to self-reflect and say, okay, yeah, I didn't get a lot of sleep. Yeah, I did lose my job. Yes, my kids are acting up. Yes, I did receive a bad health diagnosis or something else. And so naturally, when those things are going to go on, we're going to be a little more sensitive. And when we have a discussion with our spouse or with our child or someone like that, we're already at a five or six because something's going on. So then all it takes is just a little bit to move us up. And then there we are. Yeah. One thing that, um, like Colleen was kind of mentioning earlier, I'll have people if like the refrigerator in their home, you know, attach a whiteboard or something to it. And then just require people when they come home from school or whatever they're doing to write their number on the board. So people kind of know they can just go and look at it objectively. Like, what are they at today? <laughs> like, and I don't have to ask them, <laughs> like, you know, so if I come home and nobody's talking to me, it's like, Oh, it's because I wrote nine on the board. <laughs> they're leaving me alone. <laughs> Why would they do that? I just let them know. Well, um, another question we have is how much attention do you feel that relationships actually need? 
you know, I do find that um, it does fluctuate how much attention a relationship needs um, at different times uh, in the cycle of life. Um, it, uh, it's obvious that the relationship needs attention at all times, but there may be some times when, say, you're more physically involved with the children and their care and their um, meeting their needs, like when they're toddlers and whatnot, that um, it's a little more difficult to pay attention to your marital or couple relationship. Um, and then when the kids get a little bit older and they're more independent, you may have more time to spend on each other, but because you've kind of, you know, gotten into the habit of perhaps maybe not having that weekly date or not being in, um, in tune with one another to actually go out and do something fun, then that, um, priority that you used to place on a dating relationship, say, becomes, uh, falls by the wayside a little bit and you kind of wonder, you know, where, um, uh, where the where the love went. Uh, so I think it's very important that in each phase of our relationship we have intentionality in setting times for dates and creating space for one another in order to uh, keep the curiosity alive in a relationship. Yeah, I want to I want to expand on that just a little bit, Colleen. When you talk about intentionality, why is that so important? I mean, I understand you know okay we've had time kind of on paper. It's like okay, we connected or we, we spent time together, but on a more practical level, if somebody in, that I'm in relationship with, like if Nathan, you know, I'm just talking about my friendship here. If he makes intentional time to come at me with something to, to connect with me, why is that so important versus just like a casually, like if it happens and it's great. And if it doesn't, like, it seems like that would be more natural. Why is intentionality that important? You know, I often joke with couples uh, about how I, I tell them, you know, we do need to take care of ourselves because in life, in reality, nobody else is going to brush our teeth when we're an adult. We have to brush our own teeth. We can teach our children how to brush their teeth, but nobody's going to come along and brush our teeth for us on an everyday basis, walk into our bathroom and how ridiculous that would be to watch somebody else put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and brush our teeth for us. Um, and I often will get a laugh, a chuckle, or at least a smile out of that when they realize that it is true. No one's going to come brush our teeth and floss our teeth for us. We have to step into um, and own taking care of ourselves. And I use that as a little, um, just a little segue into how do you take care of yourself as an individual in this relationship? What is important to you as far as how much downtime you have? Do you need time to read each day? Does it fill your soul to do that? And if, if it's not reading, what else is it that fills your soul that you need to do as an individual? Some people, it's, it's to pray or to have alone time. Other people, it's to walk and be active and exercise. But <clears throat> whatever it is, um, self-care does affect how we act in relationships and um, how sometimes how well we can t connect. Best of both worlds is both... Um, the spouse and uh, both spouses will enjoy each other's way to fulfill uh, that feeding of their soul. And um, sometimes they can even do it together. Um, but yeah, I think that's really super important um, to the connection and uh, keeping a close connection is making sure we take care of ourselves in the relationship. Yeah, I was just thinking about some other things with intentionality. Two of the things that I've noticed in working with couples 
when we get so busy in our cycles of life, as Colleen talked about it, all the schedule, all the different things, two things that I've noticed that get missed are time with our spouses and then our self-care time. It seems like those two things become optional very quickly. And then if you work a lot, even your time with your children, they become optional very quickly. And so when I talk about intentionality, I must talk about scheduling that time and not letting it move. Just like, for instance, if you had a client, it's like, okay, I see a client from here to here. That's not going to change. You do that and say, okay, I'm having a date time. We're going from here to here. No, that's not going to change. When somebody calls and say, well, William, can you do something tonight? No, I can't do that. I have something planned. And so because things can easily creep in and move the things out that are most important, which is our relationships with our family, our care for us, and how we care for ourselves. That's such a great perspective that I, I think not a lot of people really understand the connection between taking care of myself apart from the relationship and then how that feeds into the relationship. Like what you're saying, if I'm, you know, if I'm a teenager or if I'm if I've had a busy work week, if I'm not taking care of myself, then I'm bringing all of that stress, maybe all of that frustration or just exhaustion maybe into the relationship. So if you're trying to be intentional toward me, and I've got nothing, uh, you know, if I, or if I'm even worse, I'm bringing a lot of stress and frustration. I'm going to be taking that out on you as opposed to I'm managing it. I'm taking time to deal with it, even like assessing where I'm at and managing that stuff, um, you know, before you come home or before I hang out with you, whatever the situation is, if I can manage that stuff apart from you, then in that intentional space with you, I'm free to be relaxed. I'm safe to have whatever other emotions I have, or even just to talk about that thing with you, as opposed to I'm like kind of taking it out at you. Yeah. And that interactive space, as much as possible, we want to be as safe as possible because that allows the relationships to grow. Yeah. I, w I wonder if there's any other um, I don't know, practical tips when, and considering where we're really talking about is how to protect intimacy. And I'm wondering if there's any other, besides intentionality, if there's anything else you folks might want to add as far as protecting intimacy would go. I think the immediate thing that I think about and I use with couples is when you start to argue and it feels unsafe, and I call this a quick tip, take a time out for 30 minutes at least and then figure out how to come back. The timeout is important because during that time, hopefully you do something to calm your body down, to calm your body down so you can get to a place where you can talk and communicate in a way that's respectful with one another. I find that a lot of, a lot of people, I won't say just couples, I've seen it with parents and kids and stuff, we don't wanna take timeouts. And so that just makes that space unsafe. So if I left you one tip, okay, recognize, okay, this is getting too big. We're going to come back to it. Let's take time out and take care of ourselves and come back. Yeah, that, that actually goes with my rule. I have a, I'll tell people, if you are arguing about paper plates um, for more than five minutes, then it's not about the paper plates. Um, you probably need to have a different conversation, but you're going to have to stop before you can even have that one. Yeah. What about you, Colleen, uh, in our last minute here? What's your, what's your takeaway? So practical tips. Um, 
Yeah, I think that there's so many in our profession that we can offer. I actually have here in my desk drawer a little note card on, I have little miniature note cards on a ring binder, and um, I will often read through these you know, in the middle of the day if I'm feeling particularly parched for having resources for people. And um, the first one I shared earlier was that zero to 10 scale. Um, another one that I find um, may at times be a little wonky until people can kind of get the, the hang of it is really breathing deeply. It is really such a shock to see people when they, you lead them through a breathing exercise in their office and you notice their shoulders fall. They finally relax. They're able to take a second breath even, even deeper than the first one. And so I will often lead them in a circle breath where I will hold my hand in the air and I will just slowly raise it clockwise in a circular motion and probably less than the speed of the second hand and I will make it go all the way around. And um, in that circle, I expect them to take an inhale as my hand goes up towards the 12 o'clock and an exhale as my hand goes down. And I actually have them put their hand on their chest and on their stomach when they do this so that they can feel physically the somatic, the, what's going on inside their bodies. And it, it's really amazing to see that some of them actually practice it outside of session and um, they, they will remark about how it's calmed them in times when they felt like they, you know, were highly activated, maybe that seven, eight, nine out of 10. And they thought through just breathing in deep and breathing out well. And um, they were able to approach situations with a little bit more, um, uh, more appropriate, you know, language, more appropriate posture, more appropriate um, consideration for the other person. So that's, that's my little tip is the circle breath. I love that you said that. And just for our listeners, I know when I heard this years ago, I was like, oh, that's all like cheesy stuff. That's like, who does that actually? But the more you actually use it, you realize, wow, this is actually kind of basic. It's cheesy because it's so basic and you can, it's easy to forget. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And I just would give a challenge to our listeners out there. Give it a try, you know, do some breathing when you're stressed, when you're getting agitated, try it and see how that breathing actually does calm you down and get you into a much better space. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I just want to add one thing. I was telling a client this one time, we, we would do breath work because I work a lot with trauma. And so I end up in the middle of the session having somebody slow down, breathe and all this stuff, right? And then uh, there was a week or something they came in and they go, you know what I found out is I realized I don't just have to breathe in therapy. <laughs> like outside of therapy also. Like, yeah, you can even breathe at home. <laughs> I want to thank you both so much. It was such a pleasure to be on the show. I, I, I thank you for um, allowing me to hear my voice. Um, this is the first time for me that um, I've recorded onto a professional podcast. I have a friend that does a podcast, and I so love being on with her. Um, but this is the first time I've done a professional one, and it was really um it was really a lot of fun, and I think I might actually look into the world of podcasting uh, as time as time goes on here while I'm developing my practice as well. So thank you so much for what you guys do and how much you offer the community and um, really how much I've learned from you in, in your podcast. Well, thank you both for, for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time to share all of your years of wisdom and experience with us. Our listeners are really getting, I mean, I don't even know, between the four of us, probably like 100 years of experience and probably 
thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours of couple work uh, in terms of like relationships and people work. So thank you again for being here. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening.